Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast on University of Michigan Athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan writer for The Free, joined by my co-host, our Big Ten insider, Reiner Sabin. And Reiner, last week, week one of the college football season was fantastic, but now somehow where we're at might be even better because the Lions kicked off on Thursday night. Now, we, we can't get into that game because full transparency, we're recording on Thursday morning, so it hasn't happened yet. But whatever happened, good or bad, we are hoping uh, for a Lions win because we like happy people around here and subscriptions and page views. But either way, it's time to turn our attention to week two of the college football season. And Reiner, it is all football all the time now. Yeah, it's good. It's good that we're, you know, at this point and uh, week one had its share of surprises across the college football landscape. Uh, not so much in Ann Arbor where Michigan pretty much took care of business uh, uh, against ECU with the 30 to three win. But um yeah, I mean it's been it's been uh, interesting so far, especially what's going on uh, in other parts of the country, particularly in Colorado. Yeah, and we're gonna, we're going to get to them later today as in, in segment three. Uh, they're the only team uh, may, appearing in each of our first two weeks of the picks. I guess that sort of sh- sort of shows how much juice is around there. Michigan probably should have been included in both of our picks. We did not make a pick on the pod about Michigan last week, of course. Uh, you and I both made, I made season long predictions and we both made our predictions on creep.com and in the paper. So everybody can always find our Michigan predictions. However, we do want to lead segment three with our Michigan predictions. So very quickly, here's what we're going to do as always a block, uh, three things. It's our three thoughts. So talk a little bit about the run game, JJ McCarthy and neither of us, I guess maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. I don't think either of us are picking UNLV upset here, uh, this weekend. So in a game where we don't expect Michigan to be tested, what can Michigan sort of learn about itself? And then uh, segment two, it's an, it's another uh, unusual coaching arrangement. Uh, Reiner, I know you talked to uh, another, uh, you are a Big Ten insider, another Big Ten insider uh, who, who had some thoughts about uh, how Michigan uh, may may have or have not been affected by uh, all the free hardball stuff going on and, and just the, the coaching carousel within Ann Arbor. And then we'll get to the pick. So, okay, up first, perhaps the main storyline uh, from what materialized in Michigan's week one uh, game against East Carolina, a 30-3 to victory, uh, was Michigan uh, did not score those 30 points the same way <laughs> this year as they did last year. Three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Uh, the running game, not great. Um, there, there are many reasons for that, but... We talked to, we've spoken to both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards since then, Reiner. Uh, what did you take about their sort of explanation and, 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 what, and what they thought about th- their week one performance? Well, I mean, again, they, they mentioned the fact that ECU was loading the box, which they were. And uh, Jim Harbaugh alluded to the fact that that's becoming a trend in college football. Um, but it was interesting to see how effective it was in stopping this running game. Um, and raises questions about what it's going to be like going forward. Um, you know, again, 22 of the carries that Edwards and Quorum had uh, went for two yards or fewer. Um, so, I mean, aside from, you know, Quorum's 37-yard run and his 21-yard run, um, they really didn't get much uh, against a, a group of five team. And if they could be effective, it, may, it makes you wonder – you know, what other Big Ten teams, which with much stouter fronts, can do against Michigan. And also, I mean, you know, is is this line, you know, built to run the football as well as, uh, you know, the previous two offensive lines at Michigan? Uh, Maybe they're better at pass blocking. So, I mean, it raises a lot of different questions about what um, Michigan will, how they'll attack teams going forward, how other teams will play defense against them and how effective all of this is going to be. Right. It, it does. But I would hesitate before I 
ventured anywhere toward concern because let's not forget East Carolina was a top 20 unit in the country uh, against the run last year, power, power five group of five, what have you. So that, that it's, it's a good unit. It's a good front. And there was some turnover, not as much as on the offensive side of the ball, but, but you said it, right. They were, I mean, <laughs> you said it, Jim Harbaugh said it, Blake Corum said it, JJ McCarthy said it, Kirk Campbell said it. Everybody said it. They, I mean, they were loading, loading the box. Eight, nine, ten guys. I, there were. I, I saw. I think I saw at least one play where there was actually ten guys. Um, I don't know if he was the, the safety was quite in the box, but they, they were darn close to the line of scrimmage. And and I mean Donovan Edwards. We we know Donovan Edwards is is never shy to be confident about his own capabilities. And even he said. Eventually, there's only so much you can do when they have that many guys, and there is a guy in all three or four of your holes in your in your first read and in your bat bounce back lane. And so, that's it, it was all by design. And I think Michigan, if you can pass down the field, I mean, JJ McCarthy, because there were so many people close to the line of scrimmage, JJ McCarthy's ten of eleven for 175 yards and three touchdowns on passes beyond ten yards down the line of. Sc- more than of passes, excuse me, with more than 10 air yards past the line of scrimmage. Last year on those passes, he was completing 44%. So, I mean, sure, you could say maybe there's concerns about the, like, statistically, 3.9 yards per carry is concerning for, for a Michigan line against a group of five team. But if it means you're going to have this type of success through the air, then it's, it's just going to be the opposite of what it was last year. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I, I, I'm, I still wonder, I mean, again, if, uh, you know, Michigan wants to, you know, maintain the integrity of the formula that, you know, basically, uh, you know, created their rebirth in the last couple of years uh, through the run game and uh, such and play off of that. Um, it'll, I mean, you know, it could, it could affect how, um, you know, they, they, they play the entire, the entire of the game. No, don't forget the run game has a real, huge effect on on the defense. I mean, that was part of the reason why the defense has been so effective the last couple of years is that they're on the field for fewer plays. Um, you know, it's part of their whole strategy. I mean, I don't think they want to get into a situation where they're passing more than they're running, honestly. I mean, I think that, you know, while they want balance, I don't think they want to get to the point where they're leaning on the pass versus the run. So they need to establish that running game. And they can't really bend to the will of their opponents either. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, in some ways, like, they've, they've got to establish that in some way, shape, or form. Um, I don't know if they need to get create more creative within the running game, you know. And well, I, that, that, would be, that would be where maybe J.J. McCarthy comes in. Of course, there's obviously some issues, you know, present, you know presented with that as well as far as maintaining his health over the course of the season. Right. And I, I know we want to get into that, but mm-hmm. before we, we move on to, to JJ and the running game, I think there's a few more thoughts to yeah. to the running game and its creativity. I mean, the first thing Jim Harbaugh, when we talked to him on Monday, said uh, after he had watched the game with Sharon Moore is we got out of there healthy. Right. I, that was not a like that was not a coincidence to me that he was like good team win. Everybody's healthy. Like, no, like there were no one was carted off. There were no new major injuries. Michigan did not need to run east west, right? If you notice, no jet sweeps. I maybe there was a screen pass. I, I, I can't recall it to like, like a bubble screen to a Roman Wilson, like what they did last year. They, they weren't, they didn't want, they were just moved going north south, right? That, that was right. sort of their MO as, as it appeared to me that, um, in, in week one. And so, I mean, I guess how, how much should and and one more thought before before JJ uh, Donovan Edwards last year against Ohio State uh, e- even when he went off like his his historic game right twenty two or twenty three rushes twenty two right. rushes I believe it was right. two hundred and sixteen yards he hit a seventy five yard home run and an eighty five yard home run in the fourth quarter now you can't just take away though I mean those are the plays of the game but. If you if you just look at the raw numbers on the other twenty one rushes he had sixty yards so Donovan Edwards uh, it is sort of a I mean he doesn't have a lot of 12, 13 yard runs like we saw Blake Corum have last year Donovan Edwards once he gets to that second level is usually gone and he just wasn't getting to that second level and I think that was more a product of scheme than 
than concern. And you you brought up the, the offensive line. I mean, Drake, I mean, they, they had Carson Barnhart move from the right side to the left side. You got a new center. You got a new right tack in, in Drake Nugent, new right tackle in Miles Hinton. Um, it, it's going to take some time. And when we spoke to Miles earlier this week, he, he was, that was as honest as I've ever heard a player be about their own assessment after week one. I mean, countless times, every edge rusher we talked to this week was like, yeah, you know, we were frustrated, but I thought we still did well. And they had a good game, but none of them were like, no, not acceptable. Didn't get home. No excuses. Even though they, they could have excuses, but Miles Hinton was like, yeah, you know, like that was uncharacteristic. Like I had happy feet. I was not myself. That's not how I practiced. And so they give them a little bit of time to gel, right? This line. I guess. I mean, the, uh, again, I mean, the, the weak part of the, um, the team, I mean, the offensive line was actually right up the middle. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, pro football focus, they were seven of 27, seven for 27 over left guard, uh, three rushes for four yards, middle left, which is, you know, a gap, uh, one between, one yeah, rush, between one, the tackles, well, yeah, one where, rush, they were completely yeah. shut. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know, uh, but that's where the box is. That's where I, mean, the, I, the I think, yeah, you know, I think Oluwatimi last year was very, you know, very good as a run blocker. I, I don't know what Nugent's going to be like, and you know, so far, I mean, that it it, it seems like a you know, there's going to be a somewhat of a drop off there, and so that you know, I'd heard some rumblings that you know, some people thought that you know, this line might not be as as strong in the run game as the, uh, um, the previous lines. And, um, you know, and even some people, you know, a scouting source told me that, you know, he thought that Zinter was, you know, overrated as a, as a run blocker, um, not, not as strong there as, uh, some people were led to believe. Um, and so it's, it, it is something to kind of monitor going forward now. I mean, again, like you said, they are integrating new players into this, so it might take some time. And, you know, this might be resolved by, you know, by even at the end of week two, week three. I mean, we'll see. But uh, so far, I mean, it is it is a little bit concerning that, you know, again, this is not this is not a uh, top level power five team that they play. They played a group of five team that they should be able to dominate. Yep. Michigan, Michigan did not. I mean, 3.9 yards per rush would have been their fewest of any game last season. I mean, the, the, the numbers don't back it up. I just, as 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 you are, I mean, do, doing a great job of, I mean, really breaking down, especially inside, running between the tackles, which is where the strength of their game was last year, that they did right. not do that this week. I think that's more of a one-week, one-opponent thing. But sure. to your point, there was not really a, a, an opponent even capable of doing that last year. So so it could be both, right? But that was also why, the issue. Yeah, and that was also the issue of the TCU game. You know, I mean, they they also didn't do. Jonathan well. Edwards compared the the two styles yeah. of defenses uh, yeah. as well. Uh, up up to the up the middle. I mean, they they weren't getting much in that way too. And that you know maybe there is some bit of a game plan that was discovered by TCU uh, last year. I know everybody was kind of w- wondering how that three three five defense was going to be able to hold up, but you know maybe they you know with this linebacker shooting the gaps or whatever, they, they found something there. Right. And I think yeah. that's what I wrote about Sunday going into Monday. Mm-hmm. And I think Michigan knows that, which is mm-hmm. why JJ McCarthy said the line, if they know, and I, and you had it in your column as well, right. it, was, it was the best line in the post game. Right. If they know the answer, we're going to change the question. Maybe some teams have figured out what this answer is to slowing the run game. But you saw Michigan had a really good pass game answer in, in week one. And, and, and the guy who was responsible for that, JJ McCarthy, seamless segue in, into the discussion around him. Uh, he did not run once and he was still, and, and he was extending plays with his legs being mobile, but he did not run. I think his box score was uh, one rush for minus two yards. However, that was just falling on the the, the fumble um, when, when the, he had the miss, uh, the missed exchange, the element of JJ not running also changes Michigan's run game as well. Right. And I think as part of that, keep him healthy, uh, mentality they're they're going to be careful with him certainly to start the year yeah i think it does change because i mean even uh when he was kind of you know presented as a possible runner you know a defense can't key in on edwards and quorum they have to be wary of him getting on you know getting to the edge on the outside say he you know he, he pulls it on his own run uh i mean last year that happened on occasion where you know defenses really couldn't uh, 
you know, basically crowd the middle because they would have to prepare for the possibility that he would be able to pull it and run to the run to the edge, which he can get to the edge pretty quickly, as we've seen. Um, you know, that's you know, and he wanted to run more th- this year. Going into this year, he said he wanted to use his legs more. He said that's you know, God gave me this ability, and so uh, he wanted to do that. Now, uh, so I mean, there is that element uh, that's a very attractive element to his game, uh, but. You know, considering what they have as backup quarterback, it's it's a very difficult thing to you know consider running him all the time or even semi frequently, knowing that you know they have to preserve his health over the course of the season because they don't have a backup quarterback like they did last year or going into last year. I mean, it, whether it was going to be JJ McCarthy or Kane McNamara starting, the other guy was you know just as good. Um, you know, and there was no drop off really there between, you know, being able to run the offense. I mean, obviously, JJ's a more talented player. Cade wasn't, you know, didn't have his same uh, skill set, uh, but there wasn't going to be as much of a drop off. Now, with Jake, Jack Tuttle and uh, with Davis Warren, I mean, we don't know. And they're trying out the, the backup quarterback right now. So that remains an unsettled question, you know. Right. Well, well, that's that's all a, a very good point. Um, except that Cade was was hurt after week three, right? So right. they they had the same quarterback situation for for the entirety of the Big Ten season last year. And I would well, argue well, maybe, well, maybe well, it's had, better now. They had Alan Bowman though too. I mean, uh, you know, and that he was a a power five level starter at one point. So I mean, they they still had that in the you know with him transferring out, they they don't have that per, that kind of person. I mean. You know, Tuttle's obviously, you know, played some at the power five level himself. And, uh, you know, and they, they like what Davis Warren time. can do. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and there I, is a huge, massive drop off between J.J. McCarthy and anyone else. But right. I guess my my counter to and well, and I mean, I mean, what you're saying is, is all correct. But Michigan knows this. It's why he didn't run in the first game. Uh, it's why I don't expect him to run again this game. And I, I just don't know of a team in the nation who could lose a J.J. McCarthy-level quarterback and then feel good about their chances. Um, I mean, you you don't you don't replace J.J. McCarthy. It's just he, – he's the most indispensable player on this team, uh, no, which absolutely. is kind of your point, I guess. Absolutely, yes. And so, I mean – but I think, you know, again, that affects the run game to some extent too where they just really don't have that, you know, fallback option um, where they would feel comfortable at all even – wanting to expose him to any any kind of hits whatsoever i mean i don't think they want to get to that point at all whereas maybe last year they could have accepted you know him doing that knowing that they they had people with you know or or quarterbacks with power five level experience even at you know even after um or a power five level starts you know really with with bowman and mcnamara i suppose perhaps alan bowman is maybe half a step, I don't know, half a step, let's say, just in terms of perception ahead of where uh, Davis Warner or Jack Tuttle would be right now. And this year, J.J. McCarthy is further ahead than he was last year. So that Absolutely. gap between a lesser McCarthy and a higher backup is greater than a better McCarthy and a slightly lesser backup. Um, so I, I see that point. But J.J., you know J.J. We've, we, we've, gotten, we've gotten to know him these past couple of years. If if it's Big Ten play and he see and he it's third and eight and he sees the sticks he's gonna go run he's gonna break for it right but he's not gonna do that against UNLV I think I think they're they're all they're all on on, on the same page and the reason he's not gonna do that against UNLV is because they pose no threat um, frankly uh, in, in terms of in terms of actually winning and losing this game and because that is uh, that that brings us sort of to to my third thought Reiner what can Michigan learn about itself. When you go into a game as I checked, thirty-six and a half point favorites. So win by five touchdowns, and you're not covering the spread. Yeah, I don't know if they can learn much. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. Again, I w- was looking at you know Pro Football Focus, and you know they didn't. Uh, none, neither one of their quarterbacks, you know, completed a pass over uh, you know ten yards. Uh, and so, I mean, that's not going to challenge the defense at all. Um, you know, and I. I do wonder i mean you know if that's the case i mean how you know how do you how do you play that 
uh, or how do you come away with, uh, you know, any kind of solid evidence about what your team is like defensively? Um, you know, with the offense, it's more of an in- interesting uh, question because Barry Odom is a pretty good defensive coordinator. He, he can scheme you up, especially from a coverage standpoint. Um, definitely mixes in a lot of zone. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how JJ contends with that, kind of trying to find the, the pockets in the defense uh, um, and it, being able to exploit that. I, I think Kirk Campbell, um, you know, I th- who I think has a lot of influence over the passing game, will be able to find some things uh, uh, for JJ McCarthy to do well. And I, th- I think, again, that relationship is going to just get better over time, which, uh, you know, I'll be interested to see how they handle this second week, especially against a, you know, a co- coach with the defensive uh, knowledge and institutional knowledge that Barry Odom has. Right. Um, it's not, it's not as though, but it is his first year. Right. And so right. he's, 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 he's th- this is going to take a little while. I mean, UNLV has no pedigree to begin with, right? One right. winning season since 2000, two winning seasons since 1994. Uh, and so if he does anything, <laughs> he would be the first in a long time to, to do something in Las Vegas. However, I mean, this is not a team like like East Carolina last week, right? Um, had, they, they, they were gutted by, by, by the portal, the, uh, just simply put. This is not a team, UNLV that doesn't have talent. They have, they have like a few pieces, right? So Odom came, he was the defensive coordinator at at Arkansas. He brought Jackson Woodard, um, who is the quarterback of his defense here at UNLV. He led them in week one with nine tackles, like six, three, two 30, just good, good sound mind in the middle. Um, Jacob DeJesus, this, this shifty uh, uh, Juco wide receiver uh, who, uh, he he nearly uh, cribbed a, a kick in in the opener. He was tackled on like the four yard line, um, but but he he's actually very fast. Donovan Lester, uh, he was shut down in in, in week one, uh, relatively like ten carries. I think it was twenty five or thirty yards or so. But uh, he came in from William and Mary, where he averaged more than six yards a carry the last couple seasons uh, on, on the edge uh, defensively. It's Xavier or Xavier Carter. Uh, I should know it off the top of my head. He transferred from LSU. Uh, and so, like, I mean, I mean, like, you you got some guys who who, who did some things other places, um, and Ricky so White too. Ricky White, <laughs> Ricky, Ricky yeah. White, the former, yeah. former Michigan State wide receiver. Although we've we've talked about you and I talked about yeah. that the other day when Ricky White went off uh, and Michigan State beat Michigan in 2020. It was yeah. it, it was the COVID year. So, mm-hmm. um, and I I think. I think he he was talking about how he was looking forward to going off against in, in Michigan Stadium again. Something tells me that he's not gonna uh, quite have the game he had last. No, I think that was uh, obviously a direct result of how Dodd Brown chose to play defense that game, uh, where he had you know Vincent Gray and the other uh, the corners isolated one on one, and you know Jay Johnson and Rocky Lombardi just dialed up some deep throws downfield and it it worked in that situation. I don't think Michigan is uh, quite as susceptible to that this time. Yeah, certainly. And I know in this month, people like to look back at that with revisionist history about how horrible it was. I mean, Rocky Lombardi throwing a deep ball to Ricky white doesn't like, if that's the way you lose, right? Like, so be it. I mean, I think that's the way you got to go down instead of maybe there should have been some level of adjustment, obviously once Michigan state wasn't moving the ball any other way. But well, I mean, it's arguably that's what led to the defensive change. Ultimately, was that 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 loss. I mean, you know, in, in some ways, I mean, as much as uh, you know, it, it was probably needed to happen, and you know, to get to this point where they do have an NFL style defense, they brought in this Raven style defense, so that's been, you know, much more solid against all opponents, uh, big and small. Whereas you know, Don Brown's defense was largely good against. You know, teams that were these types of know, teams, right? Yeah, yeah, these, yeah, these types of teams, or a team that has like one substantial weakness, you know, that they can take care of. I mean, like again, when they were you know matched up with teams that could like that were able to find some you know clear weakness in the man coverage and or just had better talent across the board, you know, like in Ohio State, um, you know, they got they got exposed, and so this defense is much more able to kind of scheme things up opponent to opponent um, because it's versatile. And that's, 
that's been a key to their success, I think, over the last couple of years. It has been. And you mentioned Doug Brumfield, the the dual threat quarterback for UNLV, who did not complete a pass more than 10 yards downfield last game. Mason Garcia for East Carolina did not either. 0 for 4. Uh, both ECU quarterbacks combined mm-hmm. 0 for 4 on Michigan. So um, I there's... It, UNLV couldn't do it against Bryant. I don't. To your point, I don't think they're going to be doing it against Michigan. I think I think we both think that Michigan's going to win this one handily. We'll get to that in the in the the third segment. But we got to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get a little bit into the the coaching arrangement. Another another week, another coaching shuffle. We'll talk about it on the other side. You're listening to Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Reiner, we're back and talking coaches, uh, Jay Harbaugh taking the first half of Michigan's game against UNLV on Saturday, running backs coach Mike Hart taking the second half. I think you think this is a bigger deal than I do. Yeah, I just think it's a peculiar arrangement. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, distractions and you know, d- disruptive elements uh, that have kind of colored the whole first part of the season so far. Um, obviously, Jim Harbaugh's suspension for three games, uh, school and post suspension, uh, created a situation, obviously, where, you know, the players were, you know, uh, coming off with Harbaugh t-shirts or free Harbaugh. And, you know, that was the kind of discussion even in the post game after they, you know, won a game by 27 points without him on the sideline. And so, I think, you know, this This is such a strange deal where, I mean, again, uh, you know, there's an argument that, you know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And here, I mean, you're having one guy trade off <laughs> the head coach, head coaching duties with another, um, you know, and even the LV coach, you know, Barry Odom, you know, joked to a 24-7 sports reporter that he doesn't know who he's going to talk with at pregame, whether he, he should just meet with both of them, uh, which again, he probably thinks it's a bizarre arrangement too, because most people would, I mean, usually you just, you want one guy uh, making the calls um, and knowing who that person is on, on game day. It is, it is unusual. <laughs> There's, it's not, I don't know if I've ever heard of two acting head coaches at any level ever. Right. I mean, like you have like co like co-coordinators and things that Michigan did last year. You'll have associate head coaches. And should something come up, of course, someone like like a Mike Hart situation right on, on the sideline at Indiana. There's a, there's a shuffling of the staff, but never pre uh, pre like going into the game. You establish this person's taking the first half. This person's taking the second half. Last week, Jesse Minter was awarded the victory. So. I am a little curious to see, is Jay Harbaugh going to get the victory or is Mike Hart going to be awarded the victory as a head coach? Um, not that Do they get half a victory? I mean, maybe half a victory? Yeah. I, I, I wonder. <laughs> um, but then again, who cares? Uh, like, I, I really don't see, like, yes, there has been distraction and talk, but, like, all the coaches, all the players, they're all saying the same, like, like, like you don't like, yeah, people are going to talk about it. And yes, it, this is a self-created situation, but they really don't seem to care. Right. Like Michigan is just keeping on, keeping on. And then, and it's not going to affect the win loss, the wins and losses now. And it's not like, which you and I both agreed with last week, they did what they did not do in the first year. And they took advantage of learning some of these things like the passing game, for instance, against a lesser opponent. Right. They're not, they're not taking these games off even with new coaching staff, if anything, I would say the fact that there are so many different coaches who are all trying to prove different things will keep, will keep the team more engaged. will keep things. I mean, more fired up. It's pretty easy to fall asleep at 6 PM when it's, when you're going into the third quarter up 30 against UNLV, but then Mike Hart's running out. And it's like, you know what? This is my guy, right? Like CJ Stokes is going to get on the field. And like I got to run hard for this. So, I mean, 
I, I just I don't see I don't see it as a problem. I I don't necessarily think it's going to have a huge tangible effect on the results. I do think it does affect the team as it tries to build each week. I mean, they're trying to create an identity. They're trying to um, you know get things solidified uh, in time for the conference season. Uh, if this was obviously you know, such a good thing. Everybody would try to have a coach, oh. one half and a coach the other. I mean, if it was, if this was the normal way of going about it, but people want defined leadership. They want somebody who is going in. I mean, that would be the argument for having just one interim coach, you know, being able to handle things for the first three weeks. I mean, some uniformity, this creates well, again think- a bunch of variables that you don't really need. I mean, and again, this team is trying to build, towards something and congeal in time to make a run for a national championship. I just think, you know, creating these extra variables is just, uh, frankly, unnecessary. I I understand the argument. I think it would have been, if if Sharon Moore is not suspended week one, no no one's really going to convince me that it would not have been him all three weeks, right? But because he was gone, there there was no obvious, I mean, I think maybe Jesse Minter would have been sort of next, but once Jesse's back, it, it, it just then, then it just became all this this shuffling, um, and of course this is not an ideal situation. No one, no one is. Uh, well, I guess some people are trying to paint it as such. I think what Jim Harbaugh said: we're constantly trying to turn a negative into a positive. I mean, you saw the way like they are treating the. This is the preseason. This there is no there's no two ways around it. This is the preseason for Michigan. They're treating it like that. They're they're rotating. They're doing full like. I asked about the line shifts on on, on like on, on the defense, like the, the entire defensive line. They're like, yeah, well, like we rotate guys in. Normally there are starters and there are secondary players. And when you get gassed, you then rotate. It is not a full line change one drive after another with a touchdown in between, right? Where there was plenty of time to catch your breath. So they're, they're, they are mixing and matching and they are doing things to, to try to see who is, who is the right combination of guys. And, and they know, and so I just, yeah. I, I don't think I don't I don't I don't see it as as a hindrance. I don't see it necessarily as a hindrance as it relates to direct on field results. But I mean, again, I was talking to you know Jerry Donardo with the Big Ten Network, and you know he's uh, obviously a former head coach himself, and you know he saw Michigan in practice during the preseason and said he looked, they look really on point championship level team. And then he saw them week one and, you know, he alluded to the free Harbaugh shirts and J.J. McCarthy's, you know, kind of behavior, you know, in that game uh, or post game two. And he, he felt that the team looked distracted the way that they played. It didn't look like the same team he saw during the preseason. So, um, you know, I think it, it it is something that, you know, where you just want to kind of at a period of such volatility, you know, regarding Harbaugh situation, you probably want to create as much normalcy as you can, if you can create it. Uh, and obviously this arrangement, you know, kind of goes in the other direction by creating something that's a completely unusual and abnormal where, and frankly, I might be unprecedented where, you know, one coach coaches one half and the other coach co- and another coach coaches the other half. Jerry DiNardo is a wonderful football mind and will forget more about football than I will probably learn in my life. But what I would ask him, I, I know you were talking to him for a number of reasons, but what I would a- have asked him and what I've heard about people saying Michigan was not crisp in this first game is like, I, 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 what, what game were you watching? Like I, I missed that. I was watching a different game because Michigan's offense was backed up on its first drive. Yes, maybe Jake Thaw let a punt bounce over his head that he shouldn't have. However, a they said on the replay it showed that it hit off someone from East Carolina, so Michigan should have had the ball at the thirty. That's number one, and number two, they were backed up in their own end zone, so they just figuratively and literally spe- speaking, just punted on the drive. Right? They just run, 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 a gap, a gap, a gap, and and then punted away. And then they scored touchdowns on five straight trips. It would have been the sixth, but they but Donovan had didn't couldn't get over. JJ fumbled, and and then they put in exclusively backups. But ECU wasn't was not going to score a point. Uh, they did not get into the red zone. Michigan scored on like they, they, I mean they missed a fifty two yarder, I guess. But I mean they kicked a fifty yard field goal. Where, where was this team that was not crisp? They hammered ECU. 
I think they, I mean, I think they played a good game. Could they played, you know, much better? I think so. I mean, in certain elements with the, with the run game, you know, um, you know, they, they didn't, uh, and there's, they didn't create, you know, obviously the, the kind of tur- turmoil offensively maybe with ECU that, you know, some people were expecting as far as just, uh, you know, obviously that, that had to do with, you know, Mason Garcia getting rid of the ball quickly, but, you know, they, they, they weren't, you know, creating the kind of consistent pressure to the, to the level that maybe m- many assumed they would. And they just, you know, again, you and you did have the fumble. They only threw the ball been... more than ten yards down the field four times. Right. I mean, I mean right. you can't get to... so. Sure. So it's well, by I, design. I know. Well, I and I agree with that. And but you know, I guess if, I can't speak to what he saw during the, you know, the the practice that he observed. But uh, clearly, there was some reason why he brought that up unsolicited. Yeah. Um, it was an unsolicited observation. So. Uh, you know, he felt that, you know, Michigan wasn't playing at the level that, you know, he, he was expecting them to play at. And, you know, again, it, it's not a huge deal, but, you know, they didn't, you know, blow the doors off ECU. I mean, it was a 30 to three game. I mean, it wasn't, you know, they didn't beat them 65 to, you know, seven or whatever. Yeah. Right? It wasn't like, it wasn't the Hawaii game last yeah. year. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm really glad that, that you said that. Not that I, I'm, I know how good you are, what you do. Not that I think that you would be leading Jerry DiNardo into saying yeah. something and then, and then quote it. But I, I could see how the discussion would come up of like, yeah, you know, like maybe something, right? I mean, just how when you are having conversation and saying that it was a distraction, he'd be, yeah, you know, like I, I, it might have been a distraction. But for him to bring it up, uh, and he, <laughs> even though we cover the team, he's seen more practice than we have. Because if he's seen one second, it is one second more uh, than, than you and I have, have been allowed to see. I guess to sort of to sort of wrap it, I don't know. I think we're both going to think what we think, right? I'm doing a really good job at saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see it as a disturbance. I can see it unifying. Maybe, maybe we just disagree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's fine. I mean, and uh, you know, but again, I, I'll stick to, you know, my point is that like in a, in an environment that's already seems very chaotic as it is because, you know, your head coach is not there on the sideline, you know, why make a situation where not only do you not have somebody you can turn to that, you know, as a replacement, but now you have two people replacing him. And then like, it, again, it switches at halftime and you don't know how the game's going to progress. It, it, maybe, it is. It is maybe, maybe, you know, maybe Michigan, you know, comes out slow and they need to figure it out what's going on here. And then they're like, well, I'm hanging off the baton to you figure it out. I mean, or it's like, uh, it, it's a it's a peculiar it's a peculiar arrangement that you don't know how it's going to play out because of the circumstances that you may end up encountering during the course of the first half. If Michigan's not playing UNLV or playing someone else, do you think they do this? Like if it's a twenty twenty four schedule? No, no, and you know I don't know how Barry Onan looks at it that way too. I mean, is it does he treat it as a sign of disrespect? I mean, Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I think so. I think most people would probably think that that was the case. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, he's not going to probably say that, but um, you know, again, it's a it, it, it's a weird thing that I, I find is completely unnecessary. They could have just picked one person, and um, it, it would have been it would have been fine. I mean, I think I think people would have accepted. Anybody would have accepted if Jay Harbaugh was the coach. I mean, Jay Harbaugh has been on both sides of the ball uh, as a position coach. Uh, and I think he could have actually, you know, handled it from beginning to end. Um, you know, Mike Hart, you know, again, Michigan alumnus and everything. But, you know, he's only been on, you know, one position that he's coached, you know, throughout um, uh, his coaching career. So, I mean, like, it seems like he was an associate head coach at Indiana. Right. And, and then, I mean, you got Jesse Minter, who is interviewing for coordinator jobs in the NFL. I mean, I think the point is they feel like they have four first string head coaches and Jim wanted to give them all a, a, sh- a shot. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. I just think, you know, you like you're never going to have this opportunity, you know, 
I, I, guess, I mean, I guess spinning it as an opportunity is, is Glass Half Bowling a a, a self imposed uh, problem? Like they did this to themselves. However, to, to use his line, negative into a positive, give 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 everybody a chance. Um, all right. Well, it is what it is, right? <laughs> so we, uh, um, and and I'm ready to. Are you, I'm ready to talk about uh, these picks. Anyway, are you? Sounds good to me. Uh, let's Excellent. go for it. Okie doke. So on the other side of the break, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to bring in Andrew Burkle. Um, he's going to be our, our our moderator, our mediator, our arbiter, um, uh, the legislator of, of college football. We'll do that on the other side. You're listening to Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back and it is time for the picks. That's when we bring in our sports editor and our podcast producer, my buddy, Andrew Burkle, uh, who, if I remember correctly, said he was going to lap us last week, and he had a losing record. What's up, Andrew? That is, in fact, true. Um, And absolutely no one is going to care about this. And I don't even know if I'm destroying my credibility. But right before the LSU-Florida State game, I had an epiphany, and I was like, you know what? I'm betting on – I'm going to – Don't you do it. I'm going to put some wagers on Florida State. So I completely pivoted. So in my mind, I was two and one, and I'm keeping that confidence going. But the picks, the picks were what they were. I was one and two. So only up. You just lost all credibility. (laughs) You gave the people a pick at LSU, and then and then you put and then you put your money on another pick. Uh, That that is what happened, and I'm I I like to tell the people what what actually happened. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to spin zone it. This is what actually happened. This is who I am, and and uh, that's how it went down. So. I love it. All right, let's get to some picks for this week. And I promise these are who I actually think will win this time. So anyways, <laughs> we're going to start with Michigan UNLV. Uh, we did not pick the Michigan game last week, but we will this time around. Uh, so Michigan is a 36.5 or 37-point favorite, depending on where you look. Uh, when it's in that range, it doesn't really matter. You either think they're going to blow UNLV out or not. So, uh, Reiner, let's start with you. Michigan, do you think they cover that uh, that giant spread this this time around? Yeah, I have to think that I just don't have much faith in UNLV's offense. And so I just think Michigan, you know, <laughs> will hold them down and Michigan will score enough points to to cover the spread. I'm in, I'm in lockstep as well. Uh, they, they brought in a new offensive coordinator, uh, Brendan Marion, who wants to run what he calls the, the go-go offense, which is up-tempo, up-pace. Uh, I mean, they said the preseason they, they wanted to have like 73 to 75 snaps a game. I mean, it's going to be hard to do that with the, with the new time, but that's the, that is, we saw what happened with Colorado state last year, right? When you want to run that up tempo, uh, a, a quick paced offense against a defense that gets you off the field three and out. Uh, it, it gets your, it, it puts everything out of whack, right? Like you are, you're behind the sticks, you're, you're off game script and then things really get out of hand. And that's how Michigan ends up really, really rolling this thing out there. So, so yes, Michigan covers the spread. I am and, also and Go ahead. they run the ball. Sorry, my bad, bro. They run the ball. They 200 plus rushing yards. I'd say 250. I am picking the Wolverines as well, which, you know, when all three guests or hosts, I guess, should say, are, are siding on one thing, it's usually not a good sign. But last year in the non conference slate, Michigan scored 51 against Colorado State, 56 against Hawaii, and 59 against UConn. If they get anywhere close to that this time around, they should cover that spread. Uh, their defense should should look uh, dominant like they did last week. Uh, the the three points were hilarious at the last second there. Uh, so basically should have been a shutout. Uh, so I think the Michigan defense dominates again, and I think they cover that spread. So I'm taking the Wolverines uh, minus 36 and a half. Game two, this was a divisive topic last week for, uh, amongst us. Colorado went in and knocked out TCU. Uh unexpected uh, that they got the win, but Tony and I both had, had them with the points. I did not expect them to win, but they did. Uh, so, Reiner, uh, you had uh, TCU last week, so we'll let you defend yourself. What did you see from Colorado? 
I mean, obviously they uh, they came up with a really good offensive game plan. Um, I know Johnny Hodges, the TCU linebacker, was saying that uh, the, the defenders didn't step up. It wasn't the uh, defensive coordinator Gillespie's fault that they couldn't uh, stop Shadur Sanders and the rest, Travis Hunter, and all the all the dudes on uh, Colorado that they've uh, they've acquired, and especially this uh, through the portal this offseason. So, I mean, I guess you know, again, credit to Sean Lewis, the uh, offensive coordinator for. Uh, Colorado for you know be able to scheme up a as a, a offense that was able to just attack TCU from beginning to end. So uh, yeah, I think you know again because Nebraska just won't won't be able to keep up. Um, I'm going with Colorado. I mean it's amazing what one week and one performance can do as far as how you you know feel about a team. But that was an impressive performance by the offense for for the Buffaloes. It was. And as president of the Johnny Hodges fan club, I would just like to let him know it's okay. We forgive him. Uh, just just a great guy. I love Johnny Hodges so much. Um, and and, and uh, the, the, the frogs will bounce back. But you would think because I was all, all, all aboard Colorado last week, that this is a very easy time to pick the Buffaloes, right? They're coming home. There has not been this much juice in Boulder since Cordell Stewart was there. Uh, and who do they get to host? Nebraska, who cannot help but fall, spit, trip, and bumble over themselves every step of the way, which is exactly why Matt Rule and the Cornhuskers are going in money line. Nebraska is winning this game outright in Boulder. Honestly, I, I can see that. I can see that pick, but I just can't. I can't convince myself what I just saw was was that different. Nebraska barely could barely could score against Minnesota. They lose 13 to 10. Now they're going to go up against an offense that just scored 45 points against a team who was in the, the national championship game last year and be able to outscore them. Shadur Sanders looked awesome. Travis Hunter was legit, and I don't see them not using him on both sides of the ball uh, this time around. I mean, they're playing one of their oldest and, and biggest rivals in Nebraska with a chance to actually solidify themselves and that that game last week wasn't a fluke. I mean, the, the offense for Colorado was like legit. They were picking up first downs. Sanders looked awesome. I, I just don't think Nebraska, even on a good day, and I think it will be a pretty close game uh, because like you said, Matt Rule has everything to prove in this game, Tony. Um, but it, I just don't see Colorado getting outscored by, by Nebraska in the, at the end of the day scoring more points than the other team is it's how you win in football. So uh, I'm going with Colorado when the, that spread. When the line looks this 50, I mean, wouldn't you think, I mean, that it would be more than a three point game at home. I mean, that's just last week. Yeah. They were 20 and a half. Yeah. But they were went into this game with Nebraska before in the preseason as eight, seven or eight point underdogs. So, I mean, the line flipped by 11 points. Oh. Uh, I mean that's a pretty- I, 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 did, I did not see I did not see that they were that I didn't yeah. know they were full touchdown dogs to Nebraska preseason. Yeah. I would have thought that it was maybe like a pick 'em ish because neither team was supposed to be any good. Um but still the the point remains, I mean Johnny Public is all over is just when there's too you know when there's too much momentum one way, I don't that, be surprised that when is it goes the absolutely other. the case uh, against Colorado, I think, is is the the public money and Vegas knows what they're doing. So uh, speaking of Vegas knowing what they're doing, Alabama versus Texas in Tuscaloosa. Bama is a seven and a half point favorite against Texas. A couple years ago, this line may have been a lot higher, and I think it's actually a little lower than you might expect just based on last year's game where Texas almost beat them. But Texas, pretty solid team again this year. Uh, on the verge of being top 10. I think they're currently number 11. Uh, but Reiner, you used to cover Alabama, so what do you expect to, to happen in this one? Yeah, I was really kind of on the fence about this one. I mean, I'm going with Alabama, but I, I'm not really confident in their team this year. I don't think it's a championship-level team quite to the level that a lot of other you know, college football people around the, the country, especially the pundit world, thinks. Um, you know, they, they, They're not as strong at receiver. They don't have the defensive – might that they had when I was covering them, uh, you know, between 2016 and 2018, um, they really took a step back, you know, defensively during that time. And, uh, you know, again, I think that's largely because Georgia's taking a, 
a lot of the guys that would have ended up at Alabama, you know, credit to Kirby Smart for that. So, um, you know, and, you know, Jalen Milrow has not proven himself to be, you know, a top level quarterback yet. And uh, he had a pretty strong performance in week one. But um, even so, it, it's at it's in Tuscaloosa. You know, Saban usually gets his team up for these kind of big games. He knows how uh, critical this game will be for the rest of the season, just kind of establishing what, uh, you know, this team's going to be all about at Alabama. So I'm, ge- I'm going with Alabama, but it's, I'm not very confident in that, actually. I got a quick follow-up I'm- for you here. Sorry, Tony. I'm gonna, I got another follow-up. Just because Alabama is – a team who Michigan could theoretically face in the college football playoff. When you say that they're not as good as maybe Alabama's past, we've seen Alabama teams who maybe had question marks, especially at quarterback over the years or, or different places across the field, go and win a national title. And in this landscape where, you know, there's teams who have question marks all over the place, there's no dominant Georgia team from last year. Are they still good enough to make, to get back to the playoff and, and, and maybe, even win it? Or do you think it's just too many questions compared to the other Alabama teams? Too many questions. I mean, like even in 2015, when they had Jay Coker, they had Derrick Henry running. And I mean, again, Lane Kiffin fed him like 40 times a game, like towards the end of the season. And, you know, he was just, you know, running through teams and, and such. So they, and they had a, they had a lights out defense still at at that time. Um, I mean, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick was a freshman. Reuben Foster was at linebacker. I mean, you had Jonathan Taylor and Dalvin Tomlinson and, you know, all those guys that were, you know, went on to, you know, be, you know, top-level draft picks. And so it just, it, it, you know, they don't have quite the depth that they did in those for those teams back then. And so, yeah, I just don't know if they can survive an SEC grind with, with the uh, – you know, the limitations they have in certain position groups, especially at receiver. And then again, the quarterback is a question mark still. And SEC grind, they got to get through Texas first, right? Um, right. Who's going to the SEC next year? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. And, so. and I mean, I was seven and a half just feels like a lot, right? Like I know, I know it's very easy. Uh, Texas is back. Texas is never back. But um, if Texas were ever back, <laughs> famous last words. I mean, this this year sort of feels like like a year to do it. Um, the I mean, the Big Twelve is is wide open for the taking. That does not have anything to do with with this game in particular. But uh, I mean, Quinn Ewers and company were. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt last year against Bama, Texas probably wins that game. Uh, and they looked pre- pretty good week one against Rice. I mean, Xavier Worthy might be an All-American wide receiver. I, he had close to 100 yards. And it's easy to say it's just Rice. Rice's quarterback is JT Daniel, the, the well-traveled JT Daniel, the one-time five-star at USC JT Daniels. And so, uh, I mean, they, they looked all right against decent uh, competition week one. And this this game means everything. Like, yes, Bama shows off at home in Tuscaloosa. They always do. This is a big, big spot for Texas as well. And you're giving me more than a touchdown, seven and a half. I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly taking the points. And if, te- if Texas won it outright, again, wouldn't surprise me. All right, yeah, interesting. I am I'm banking on the pedigree here as well. You have Nick Saban in a huge spot. And last year, going back to last year's game, on the road, one of the biggest games at Texas since Mac Brown was there. And – and everything that could have gone wrong besides Quinn Ewers getting hurt in that game for Alabama, it just felt like all the bounces, all the things were going wrong for Alabama, and they still found a way to win it, and they won it ugly. Yes, they're not the same team. They don't have Bryce Young. But now they're at home, and I think that Nick Saban's going to get the team fired up enough to to remember that last year. And everyone's it's the one like game that everyone still talks about from last year where it's like, oh, Texas – should have beat Alabama, should have beat Alabama, should have beat Alabama. Well, now it's Alabama's turn to, to show that, you know, maybe they're not on the same level that Texas thinks that they are here. So I'm going to take the seven and a half. And Alabama's, when they win, they, they have uh, an ability to cover, unlike most, pro, most programs, it feels like. They really can put the, the hammer to the nail and, and finish it off. So the seven and a half doesn't scare me too much. I think, it's, I think it'll either be a really close game and the points aren't going to matter anyways, or it could be, uh, Alabama really, really pounding it away at the score at the end there. So, anyways, let's move to our final game. Uh, Tony, we'll start with you because we've had Ryder first on all the other ones. Tulane versus Ole Miss. 
It's at Tulane, but Ole Miss is seven and a half point favorites. Uh, what's your gut feeling on this one? Points. <laughs> I feel there. I feel there will be points, right? Um, I mean, Lane Kiffin offense going up against uh, Lane versus Tulane. I'm just now realizing that. Uh, but um, I think that I. I don't. So th- this would be an awesome college game day if it was not in Tuscaloosa. Um, Tulane is one of those is one of those group of five teams like uh, like in like in East Carolina sometimes um, who just I mean and especially in recent years it's just been I mean has turned from pesky to talented right I mean I guess East Carolina did not do that but that had an era when they did that and right and right now uh, is, is the time for the wave I mean Michael Pratt at quarterback he he hit his receivers in the hands on all 15 passes last week. There was one drop. And other than that, he was 14 of 15 for 294 yards and four touchdowns against the South Alabama team that actually uh, is, is much, much better than the, than the name South Alabama, right? They actually have some, some real talent on that team as well. Uh, and Ole Miss never has, a, just never has a defense uh, since those, Shark days, whatever they they used to do. Um, Quinchon Judkins is a wonderful running back, but I think I just think Nola's going to be popping, uh, and I think it's it's the same thing. Tulane covers, and they might win outright. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think you know. Again, I I'm going to side with Lane Kiffin. I just say you know he's he he's a very good uh, tactician. I mean, he really is. I mean, he usually finds the weakness in the. And, and the defense, and when you have better talent, you know, better players across the board, he should be able to, you know, find something in Tulane that um, will give them a, a victory. I mean, usually when they when the, he has the talent advantage, he's going to win the game uh, just because of, you know, what he's able to do from a schematic standpoint. And he's really got a versatile offense, uh, you know, with, with Jackson Dart, you know, and Judkins, um, you know, they can run it, they can throw it. And, you know, against uh, Power 5 teams, he gives them trouble. I mean, he gives Saban trouble, uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint. So uh, I think, you know, as much as Tulane, you know, is a nice story, and they, obviously they've shown that they can beat high-level Power 5 team uh, as they did against USC in the in the bowl game last year in the Cotton Bowl. Um I just I just don't see that happening, you know, right out of the gates this season, um, especially against Kiffin. I just think he's um, I, I think he'll have the team, you know, ready for this. And know, he knows the challenge, too. So uh, I expect Ole Miss to uh, to cover in this game. First of all, I want to say shout out to Ole Miss going down to uh, to Tulane and playing uh, absolutely a, a non a non-conference game in a place that just like. All right, if you beat Tulane, awesome. You know, you should beat Tulane. If you lose, ooh, wow, they just lost to Tulane. Shout out to Ole Miss for scheduling that game. I think that's awesome. Secondly, I'm I'm actually going to take the points of Tulane. Maybe Ole Miss pulls it out at the end, but I, I really like Tulane's offense. I think they're going to put up a lot of a lot of points, and I think this is going to be a shootout. And when there's that many points uh, and you're at home, I'm going to take the seven and a half. So uh, like you said, Ryan, you made a lot of good points about Ole Miss, and usually they do win when they have the better team. I mean, you look at you look at uh, say or Lane Kiffin's record. Uh, used to be Saban's uh, offensive coordinator, but Lane Kiffin's record uh, at Ole Miss it's impressive. You know, he beats who he should, and then it's a coin flip against some of the teams like uh, you know Alabama or, or the the top dogs of the conference, and they play in the SEC West. But uh, at the end of the day, I think this is a really really tough matchup. Uh, I wish there was more of it in college football. Uh, I, I maybe you know maybe if Ole Miss does win, and it, it shows that you can go out and schedule these games. But the whole thing is getting thrown up in the air, anyways. So uh, I'm going Texas to take Tulane. Has a, Texas Tech has a very uh, has a message of warning uh, for these games after what they yes. just happened to them. Double exactly. OT going out to Laramie. I mean, it's it's one of those and things. We need Be more careful. college basketball in college football. Like that's a game that would absolutely happen in college basketball, right? Like, oh sure, we'll go out and visit you and. And New Orleans for uh, a matchup with two, like Tulane, but no, like it just doesn't happen in college football. Um, well, it's easier anyways. when there's thirty games a schedule versus versus three non con, right? 13, 13, Ten. The difference here, though, is Ole Miss will have a bunch of fans there. I mean, a lot of Mississippi yeah. moms who live in New Orleans, whereas Texas Tech, I don't think they have a huge <laughs> one. Laramie, uh, you know, a true home game for Wyoming. Uh, you know, there might be a little bit more of a 
uh, a split between Ole Miss and Tulane fans. I'm sure Tulane is probably want to protect that, but uh, I guarantee you Ole Miss fans are probably going to find their way into that game. The Lubbock no to Laramie pipeline is strong. All right. <laughs> the, those are the picks. Uh, and that's going to do it for our week two preview. Uh, again, Michigan will take on UNLV 3.30 this Saturday, September 9th at the Big House. The game is on CBS. Uh, so no Peacock streaming this time. Hopefully that uh, should be easier for, for everybody else. And then this is the sort obviously this episode is releasing on friday morning from here on the plans for release are monday mornings and thursday mornings we didn't want to take anything away from the lions on thursday we want to let them have their day so moving forward so maybe maybe uh ohio state week thanksgiving week we'll 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 decide if we want to release that ohio state pod on thursday but there's plenty of time between now and then so thanks to reiner thanks to andrew who both do a great job as always thanks to our editor-in-chief nicole avery nichols uh, our executive editor anjanette delgado sports editor kirkland crawford audio engineer robin chan and all of you for tuning in week two is almost here hope you enjoy if you are betting bet responsibly and we'll talk to you next week Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.